We are in a series uh, talking about the compassion of Christ, and uh, we're looking kind of at, at, at the resurrection stories, and today we're going to be over in Luke 8. If you want to flip over there, Luke 8, uh, 40 is where we're going to be. Um, this is a very familiar passage, like the ones we've dealt with for the last couple of weeks. Um, so we're going to read through it. We're going to look at it. We're not going to look at it in the way that you've always looked at it, because I'm going to assume that many of you in the room have looked at this more than once. Uh, but I want to find an aspect that maybe we haven't really talked about a whole lot. As the text unfolds, Jesus had crossed the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Gezerines, and he had healed a man once called Legion, ridding him of a host of demons and restoring his sanity. Then Jesus and his disciples got back in the boat and crossed back over the sea toward Galilee. And we pick up here at verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Jesus was on his way, as Jesus was on his way, The crowds almost crushed him. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus said. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While he, Jesus, was speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. I want to stop here for just a second. Did you notice the word faith in verse 48 on the slide there? I bolded it and here the word belief is bolded here in verse 50. In 48 and in 50 we get the same word in two different ways. 
in verse 48 where he's talking about the woman who was bleeding, we get the noun form pistis. It's the word faith. It gets translated as belief. But faith is deeper. It is greater than just the English word belief today, intellectual assent. I, I, I agree with you. I believe that's true. Faith is more visceral. It's deeper than that. And here in verse 50, when he turns to Jairus, who has just learned that his daughter is dead, he uses the same word, but it's translated as belief. This is the verb form, pastuo. It's an active form of the word. It's the idea of belief to the point of action. That's what faith is. That's what James tells us in chapter 2 of his book, that faith demands something of us, that there is something we must do if we have true faith. For the woman, her belief, her faith was to go against all society norms and to be in that crowd and to reach out and have enough belief that Jesus can heal her to reach out and try to just touch the hem of his garment. And for Jairus, who has just learned that his daughter is dead, it's not just a belief that Jesus can heal, but in the face of knowing that his daughter is gone, he has to continue that faith. So it is an active trust in Jesus that he is doing. Let's keep moving. When he, that is Jesus, arrived at Jairus's house, He did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. And you see what it says? And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. You catch it? But Jesus took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. We have these two intertwined stories of people who were in great need. Jairus and this unnamed woman and and. What I want to look at today is I believe both of them have something to teach us about faith. And that's the aspect 
I want to really focus on today. The first thing that's on your sheet there, faith is born out of need. You think about Jairus. He came to Jesus seeking help even though he was the head of the local synagogue. Even though he was a member of that group that would have been the most opposed to Jesus in what he was saying. And in his hour of extreme need, he came to Jesus. We're also told about this this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Mark, as he tells this story, Mark 29, Mark 34, uses the word suffering, that she had been suffering from this bleeding for 12 years. That word that Mark uses carries the idea of a whip. What comes into mind when you think of a whip? Notice the things that this whip drove from her life. First, it drove away both her strength and her health. For 12 years, she had been steadily growing weaker and weaker. Secondly, it drove her from the place of worship away from the Jewish people because she would have been ceremoniously unclean. She would have been an untouchable. And one other thing of note, it drove her from society as an untouchable. Now we don't know much about this woman's life other than what's here, but if you think for just a moment, it even likely drove her from her family. In this day and time, when a man could divorce his wife for something as silly as burning his breakfast, it may well have drove her husband to leave her as well. But here's a desperate need. And out of her desperate need, she also turns to Jesus, not expecting his full attention, only wanting a small part of what she believed he was capable of doing. Have you ever noticed that? That when people are in a position of great need, even though their life may have been away from God, do you notice what that need tends to do? Has it done that in your life? Paul Harvey, many years ago during the Vietnam War, is famous for one of the lines that he wrote, there are no atheists in foxholes. Because deep need, deep crisis call us to look to something greater than ourselves for meaning. Let me ask you this, my friend. What need did you have that motivated you towards Christ? Was it a personal need or was it a a need that was shared by others? 
maybe a more important question. If you don't have a need for something greater in your life, you'll likely never respond to Christ's invitation, will you? I believe sometimes God allows us to experience crises, the depth of pain, a depth of loneliness, of rejection, of despair, in order to get us to look up. In order to get us to see him. The next thing on your sheet. Faith demands a response. You notice Jairus when he comes. He he fell at the feet of Jesus. Can you see that picture? Can you see him on his knees? On his face? What would that be? It would be a sign of complete submission of humility. This may be the biggest issue for most of us in coming to Jesus. Is the fact that we know it's going to call for us to submit and to be humble in front of him. Like Frank Sinatra saying years ago, we want to stare life down and at the end of the day say, I did it my way. And yet Solomon told us centuries ago, Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. I like the way Eugene Peterson translated that verse and the one after it, Peterson says, there is a way of life that looks harmless enough. Look again. It leads straight to hell. Sure, those people appear to be having a good time, but all that laughter will end in heartbreak. If you read what Paul says in Romans We really never get to do it our way. Because you see, friends, we are born slaves. We will be slaves to our flesh, to our passions, to our sense of self. Or by God's grace, he allows us to be his slave. To seek after his good which is really the best thing for us and to become his bond servant through his grace. Jairus chose the better path not to rely on pride or religious tradition but to simply fall prostrate before the Lord And give himself over to whatever the Lord may will. Paul writes in Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
like this woman, it's not enough to simply hear the word. We must believe it and then do it. Not only had she heard about Jesus, but she believed about Jesus and she acted. That is an action of faith. Matthew 9, 21. Matthew tells us that she decided in her mind if she could just touch him, she knew the healing would come. You see, true faith demands a response. As I think about her fighting through the crowd, I wonder, is there anything in your life that is crowding out, that is blocking you, your response to the call of Christ on your life? Are you willing to fight through to find your deepest need met? James, James 2, 18, he says, you say you have faith. I will show you my faith by what I do. He goes on to say, because faith without action is what? Is dead. Faith without a response. Faith that doesn't recognize that something is demanded of us is useless. James 2, 26. But you know what's interesting? What's interesting is that we all respond to Christ according to what we believe. There are some who choose to just ignore Christ altogether. There are some who believe that they will never be worthy, so they stop trying. Some respond initially wholeheartedly, but become discouraged and they fall away, convincing themselves that Jesus really wasn't who they thought he was. Others respond out of of a moral code believing that maintaining the law is what earns them space in God's kingdom. Although scripture tells us over and over that there's no saving grace under the law. Others fall down before the Savior and simply simply seek his mercy. Just Wanting to know Christ alone. Giving themselves fully over to the master. They surrender everything and enter into a relationship with him that the crowd never really fully understands. Faith holds on When reason says to give up. Down at verse 49, we see, you know, 
they told him his daughter was dead. You know, the delay necessary for healing and restoring the woman that touched Jesus along the way brought disastrous results. And Jairus' daughter had died. The human conclusion, you know, she was now beyond help. You know, it's one thing to believe in a healing. It's quite another to believe in a resurrection. Jesus had already raised a man outside the city of Nain. It's over in Luke 7. But that was miles away from here and months ago. You can almost hear the murmur. How could something so supernatural be true anyway? And yet, Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just faith. Believe. An ongoing action verb. Just believe. Cling to your faith. Understand though, faith is not a belief that we will get what we want. But it is the belief that God knows what is best. Pistis, this idea of faith, can also quite legitimately be translated trust. Jesus tells this man, trust me. Just trust me and all will be well. Friend, do you trust Jesus? I mean, do you really trust him? Do you truly trust that God has your best interests in mind? Regardless of your circumstance. Do you have the faith to trust him when all reason says to give up? The crowd doesn't trust him. In fact, they ridicule Jesus. They're laughing. Why? Well, we read that. Because they know the child is dead. The critics always tell you death is the final nail in the coffin. It is the final curtain. It's the final goodbye. The grave holds no favors, favorites. For all humans, good or bad, rich or poor, black or white, brother or alien, all succumb to the power of death. Is that true? Unless the Lord comes... It will continue to be true. But that truth does not negate our hope. 
in the one who conquered death and can raise us to. Do you notice what Jesus did? He rid the room of all the skeptics. He left them all outside, leaving only the trusting parents and the most devoted disciples to witness what was going to happen when he said, little child, get up. In fact, it's Aramaic. We, we read that in Mark 5.41. gives us the phrase, Talitha kumi. Talitha kumi. Literally, it means, little lamb, arise. It's that same word that he said to Lazarus, that he said to the young man of name. It's the same word to describe when Jesus leaves the grave. Little lamb, arise. And he raises her with a simple loving call that a parent might use to wake their child in the morning light. Why did he do this? Did he do this for the little girl's sake? I might think yes, and I might think no. An innocent who doesn't know sin, I believe, would be in heaven already. Wouldn't that be the better place for her? Was it for the sake of the parents? Yeah, I I believe so. Was it to teach us something? Yes. Did he do it so that we would expect the same thing today? Now to that I'd have to say no. Dr. Campbell Morgan, who's a great preacher back in the 19th century, back in the 1800s. He had a daughter that died. And he asked the same questions that Jairus and his wife, and maybe you have asked when a loved one has died. Why did this happen? Why her? Why now? What happens now? Many years later, Campbell Morgan, speaking about his own experience, said this. I can hardly speak of this matter without becoming personal and reminiscent, remembering a time 40 years ago when my own first daughter lay at the point of death dying. I called to him and he came and surely said to our troubled hearts, fear not, just believe. He did not say she will be made whole. She was not made whole, at least not on this earthly plane. She passed into the life beyond 
But he did say to her, Tilitha kumi, little lamb, arise. But in her case, it did not mean stay here on the earthly level. It meant that he needed her. And he took her to be with himself. She has been with him for all these years as we measure time here. And I have missed her every day. But his words, just believe, has been the strength of all these passing years. Friends, you may remember that last week I made the point that Jesus didn't die to bring you and I a longer physical life. He died to give us entrance into another realm. Jesus did these things, these healings and the resurrections we've been talking about so that we might have a new understanding of sickness and death. A new understanding, a a new perspective. You see, the Christian can stand at the bedside of another believer who is ill and pray that God will heal them and then earnestly trust that God did heal them completely by taking them into the presence of the Lord where death and sorrow and pain no longer exist. You see, friends, the one who can raise himself and raise others to life surely has the power to raise us to life as well. Do you trust him? Father God, We thank you for Jesus and for your entering our world and living the way that we live, taking on human flesh, feeling the heat of the summer and the cold of the winter, understanding what it's like to to lose friends, to lose family. Understanding the pain of separation, understanding temptation, and the slings and arrows of Satan. Understanding the heartache of the grief of a parent who has lost a child. But also giving us an understanding that life goes on beyond what we see and what we understand in this life. We thank you, Father, for the knowledge that death is but a door. And through faith in Christ is a door to a better 
existence. We thank you, Father, that you're not distant, that you walk this world, and that you know that we need something more than this life have to offer. And we know you can help when we're willing to trust you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.